traditional notion is if you are going to advocate for students above and beyond those who are in your four walls, you need to leave the classroom. Uh, everyone who's been a teacher has probably experienced that feeling at some point in their career of should I stay in the classroom or should I move on to something else? It's it's different, you know, and it's um, it's satisfying, but it's maybe not as satisfying as I felt when I was directly teaching in the classroom. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, guys, gals, and non-binary pals to another episode of All the Above, the show that gives you an unstandardized take on education. I'm Jeffrey Garrett, one of your co-hosts, and I've been a middle and high school principal and a high school social studies teacher. And as always, I'm joined by... Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. I'm a high school history teacher working in the Los Angeles area, and this of course is all of the above, your home for news and analysis of all things education, because we know, like you know, that education just does not get the attention that it deserves. So we're here to have these conversations with you and explore how our schools can continue to provide our students with the greatest possible education to prepare them for a future in this, this troubling, crazy, nutso world yeah that, i like that escalation there yeah troubling yes crazy yes, yes. nutso, nutso. That's yes a, that's the official <laughs> vocab term right there i don't, I don't right know there. what's more than nutso but we're probably there too man oh yeah we're there and beyond so um consider if you haven't already subscribe follow um rate us review us that all helps out quite a bit so for today's episode jeff what is on the agenda well, Manuel, as always, we got a good one. Uh, and I am super pleased to share that our senior middle school correspondent, uh -huh. the one and only Genevieve DeBose, is going to be joining us again nice. today. Uh, and we're going to have this great conversation about uh, a kind of a profound question that I mm -hmm. think uh, most educators grapple with at some point in their career. Yeah. Should I stay or should I go? Hmm. Uh, to borrow a phrase from uh, from the clash, I believe uh, we are going to be talking about that kind of that moment, that decision point that people face oftentimes in their careers. Should I stay in the classroom? Should I move to a role outside of the classroom? Right. Uh, you know, and what kind of the pros and cons and, and the decision making process is around yeah. answering that question for oneself. And we will do so with a group of people who includes a teacher. Indeed. Uh, a coach in uh, in Genevieve. Indeed. And, uh, of course, someone who became an administrator and now works with administrators, uh, you know, at the at the district level. So hmm. should be a good one. So what you're saying is you left the classroom, you left those students behind. I, I just, believe wow. the term you're looking wow. for is wow. sold out. Yes, sold out. Yes. I was OK. I'm to glad the, you said it. That's, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> Can't wait for this discussion. Um, I know everyone listening, especially anyone who's a current classroom teacher or whoever worked as a classroom teacher has had that moment of thinking about like stepping away and all that comes with that decision. Our next full episode coming up is going to be about supporting LGBTQ youth and LGBTQ issues within our American school system. And we'll bring in some guests who have uh, expertise in that arena. So of course we're family over here at All the Above and we would love to hear from you for this upcoming episode. So if you want, you can send us a message on Twitter or email us or leave a comment under this video with what your perspective is about supporting LGBTQ youth in our schools and in our school system. And if you want, you could consider 
sending us a, a voice memo or a quick recording and maybe we'll include that in our next episode so we can hear uh, multiple voices in that so you could email that to us at all above show at gmail.com or maybe direct message us on twitter i don't know if twitter allows for sending of media files but uh we could find out but in any case our email is there all above show at gmail.com and uh, again we'd love to hear from you for that upcoming episode but first for right now it's time for our headlines in our Do Now segment. Stay tuned. All right, folks, now it's time for the Do Now. Let's take a look at recent headlines in education. Jeff, how are we going to do the Do Now today? Well, Manuel, uh, you know, it's that middle of the school year time and uh, True. End, end of semester time. So we, have a, we have a report card. We're going to get some grades today. All right. See how we did. All right. Let's see. Let's see. Hopefully uh, we do better than normal because I feel like normally our, our do now grades are um, they, a lot they, of room for improvement. Yes, they could have used improvement. But, um, yeah. you know, as educators, we're all about that growth. Oh, yeah. Growth for sure. mindset, Manuel. So, all that. Uh, change is possible. All right. Let's see what our first grade is for today's do now. All right. Ah, we have a A minus. Not, Not bad, bad at all. Yeah. Good yeah. start. Good start. We'll take, Little, it. we'll take it. Yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it. Um, and this is in reference to changes to California's ed code with regards to suspending students. And a few episodes ago, we did a in-depth discussion about suspensions and this the question that teachers grapple with to suspend or not suspend. And this has to do with changes in California's ed code with regards to suspending students in middle school for willful defiance. So California's new law means that it'll be unlawful for both public and charter schools to suspend students from kindergarten through eighth grade for unruly or disruptive behavior. Previously, the ban was in place just for kindergarten through fifth grade. So this new law extends it through eighth grade. Senator Nancy Skinner, who sponsored the law, said that she is working to decrease school suspensions and expulsions, quote, because our goal needs to be to keep kids in school to have them and to have them be successful. The law also aims to address racial disparity in school suspensions. Black students in California made up 5.6% of the total enrollment in 2017-18, but accounted for 15.6% of total suspensions for willful defiance. So Jeff, what do you think? This uh, policy change has garnered a bit of attention online and um, out here on these internets, people have strong feelings about this. What mm -hmm. do you think? Yeah, so on the whole, Manuel, I feel great about it. I think uh, I think it's the right direction for policy to be moving. The right. racial disparities that you talked about, the um, you know the sort of connections between uh, school discipline and suspension and larger societal issues like uh, mass incarceration, you know, right. are, are uh, certainly problematic enough for us to be deeply concerned about. Right. Uh, so on that level, I'm, I feel good about it. I'm glad to see the state moving in this direction. I think where the minus comes in, in the a minus mm -hmm. is the sort of, so what now what aspect of the conversation, right? Yeah. Because some of those suspensions were things that were really just manifestations of poor practice from educators or manifestations of bias um, and racism being, you know, uh, exercised on uh, largely black youth, right? right? Um, and so 
So I'm happy to see the system moving to check that. And some of these things are actually like unruly, like unacceptable behaviors in schools that now schools uh, uh, can feel like they're having some tools, uh, some resources taken from them to be able to right. address those things. Right. And I'm not saying that the best resource and tool to use is suspension necessarily. Right. But uh, when you when people have been operating in that way and then the tool they use is taken away from them and they're not given more resources or other resources, it can feel like you're being undermined and not supported. Yeah. Right. And so I worry in a in a state where everybody loves to talk about things like restorative justice, but where funding and resources to actually implement restorative practices really well is still quite sparse. Uh, you know, in, in virtually every district, um, you know, there's, I think there's a, an unresolved need there. And I worry a little bit that, um, you know, when things pop up, this is going to give ammunition to the people that are like, well, those kids are just bad. And, you know, mm, these schools are out yeah. of control. Right. Um, so I worry a little bit about it, uh, on that level, but I'm happy that this law exists. I'm happy that it applies to charters and district schools. I think that's right. great. And so, you know, I'm good. A minus. Yeah. Nice yeah. job, California. Yeah, for sure. I agree with all those points. And um, I guess I should note that the original legis legislation was going to ban uh, suspensions for willful defiance all the way through 12th grade, um, but got tapered back to uh, middle school as part of uh, ongoing negotiations to, to get this through. And one year it might eventually extend through high school. And my concern is the way it's being framed by a lot of folks um, online and in local news outlets because it's, it really seems to be uh, framed as a, a tool is being taken away from teachers. So teachers are being made to deal with unruly kids and people who aren't working in schools, and some who are, uh, have this vision of this law basically making it, basically enabling crazy behavior and making it to where teachers basically are always to blame and have no help and no support. And it's not that at all. So uh, my concern is, is especially folks outside of California who, who see this and, and discuss this um, legislation, uh, my concern is them thinking like, oh, those California schools are gonna be crazy and kids bouncing off the walls and all this all this craziness. But like, as you noted, it's gonna, it's gonna take some work to support teachers and support schools to come up with alternative methods for uh, yeah. addressing student behavior. It's going to take some work. It's going to be a bit messy. And I haven't taught middle school. I've taught ninth grade through 12th grade for my whole 16 year career. But myself, just thinking about myself as a classroom teacher, I've very rarely had to suspend a student because I know there are alternative methods for dealing with unruly behavior. And I have not had what some would consider to be like the quote unquote good kids. I haven't taught the honors classes and AP classes in schools where, you know, everything was just working smoothly. I, I've taught some of the most marginalized populations out there. So I know yeah. it can be done. I know it can be done. So I'm hopeful that this will helpfully encourage more schools and teachers to um, look at those alternatives. Yeah, agreed. All right. All right. Next up, Manuel. Yep. Here we go. Another A, I'm sure, because I'm feeling good today. Well, uh, it could have been an A. Could but have. In, but in order to get an A, you actually got to come to class. Uh, so this grade, uh, Manuel, unfortunately, is a W. And w. for those of you who might be like, what's a W? Grade? Yeah, that's why I'm what? Uh, you know, sometimes in college in particular, students might sign up for a class with the best intentions, mm. stick around for a few weeks. And, you know, you get that little window, like a week or two where you can drop a class and it disappears from your transcript. Yeah. 
But then if you stick around past that window and you still ah. drop a class, you, but you don't finish it to get the grade, it still stays on your transcript and you mm. get that W. So uh, this grade for America <laughs> is a W, and I'll explain what that means. Uh, so a recent piece uh, in NPR by Alyssa Nadwarney uh, notes that in the uh, fall of 2019, overall post-secondary enrollment uh, of American students in, in colleges, in all of our colleges, private, public, four-year, two-year, uh, for-profit, non-profit, mm. et cetera, um, in all of them, it uh, decreased 1.3%, uh, which is more than 231,000 students uh, from the previous fall. Um, and now there are, uh, in the, over the last decade, a record low um, mere 17.9 million students enrolled in college. This data, of course, is coming from the fall 2019 uh, enrollment estimates uh, report by the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center. So uh, this is really fascinating because for the first time um, in the decade, uh, we have seen total enrollment in college fall below 18 million. Um, and we have seen this steady downward trend uh, in the last decade. Um, now, there's a lot of factors for this that uh, that folks are calling out, things like demographic changes and costs of attendance and student debt and various things. But um, overall, in an era where high schools are doing more and more, and really all schools, K-12, are doing right. more and more and more to kind of uh, promote college attendance. We've even done an episode uh, a couple yeah. of years ago about you know college for all and what that means. Uh, we're actually seeing a drop in the number of students going to college. Now, not necessarily a drop in the percentage of students going mm. uh, to college, and then right. we're seeing an increase in the percentage of students actually graduating from college, but the number, the overall number is declining. So Manuel, help us make yeah. sense of this. Yeah, I mean, I was really surprised by this. I had no notion at all that numbers um, were going down in terms of um, in college enrollment. No notion of that at all, because as a high school teacher, like all the focus and emphasis is on preparing students for success in college um, and college being a possibility for them. I happen to teach at a school that's a uh, early college magnet, so everything is college themed. So in my head, in my working experience, all about college, and then to get this uh, update that actually numbers have gone down was really surprising to me. One uh, particular explanation for it that stood out to me was this idea of the economy being strong, so more people opting to work and uh, disenroll from college or take a break from college and, and, and work instead, which I think is a... Um, excellent sign that our president is clearly doing great things i like Jeff. how you, i like how you said our president it's a little presumptuous of you but go ahead yes yeah. um because clearly um he's all about education and betsy devos <laughs> is all about educating our youth so oh, betsy. Um, oh, but betsy. the economy being so strong maybe education just isn't even needed so right yeah yeah, yeah. no nah, um in all seriousness um for the strong economy to be an explanation for uh, lower numbers of students in school I don't, I'm not an economist and I don't understand the particulars behind that. Part yeah. of it makes sense to me, like if I can go ahead and work, but also to me, the other part of it is the fact that folks are having to work two and three jobs to support themselves. So yeah, yeah employment is high, but the amount that people are actually getting paid, uh, wages have not increased to the level that they need to increase. So maybe it's not so much, oh, the economy's doing great. I don't need to be in school this semester. I'm gonna go ahead and work. Maybe it's more student debt is out of control. 
I need to work two or three jobs to help my family pay this rent. I don't have time for school. Yeah. So I, I'm glad you called that out. I am going to uh, agree with you on this. I'm calling BS mm -hmm. on the the good economy is yeah. the driving factor of this. Now, of course, I am not a psychometrician, a statistician. Right. I have not done the regression Big analysis words, yeah. Big words. to prove that this is true. Right. I'm just going to say it doesn't pass the smell test to me. Yeah. Okay. Because the people who are doing well in this economy um, and we're already going to college at high rates are still going to college at high rates. Right. Right. The, the, the growth, the flexible part of the who goes or doesn't go to college in our society is primarily poor people, people of color, uh, yeah. people in rural America and the intersections of, you know, right, of right. those three groups. Right. And so, uh, you know, this idea that um, unemployment is low, it's only three and a half percent right now. And that's why, uh, you know, folks ain't going to college. Record low come, for African-Americans. Yeah. Thank you. Donald. <laughs> uh, you know, we know exactly what the truth of that is. Yeah. The stock market is doing great for Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and, and yeah. you know, Hollywood producers. Uh, the folks working at Walmart, you know, pulling a six hour shift at Walmart and then a six hour shift at Wendy's down the street. Yeah. Uh, and then hoping to see their kids for a little bit today. The economy is not doing well. Right. And I think there is a much higher likelihood that what's driving some of these numbers is actually just the cost of college yeah. and the massive debt load. Right. Yeah. And that what we're seeing is the intersection of uh, a generation coming of age where there are fewer 18 year olds and fewer high school graduates than previous years with a, a cost equation that does not make sense yep. for people, right? And when you match that with how many how many folks with bachelor's degrees are working at Starbucks in this right. lovely economy that we have right now? How many folks with bachelor's degrees are you know waiting tables right now, yeah. right? And that's not to demean uh, being a barista or being a you know a server at a restaurant, but that's just to say that people are making some rational decisions about like is this worth it? Right. right. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying so don't go to college, kids. Let's be clear that go to college. But uh, I think it's th this data is like the canary in the mine shaft mm -hmm. telling us we're having a huge problem where the thing we're telling people they need yeah. is becoming more and more unattainable rather than more and more attainable, at least from a financial perspective. That's big facts. And we love facts here on All the Above. We do love facts. Um, I will just add, as a um, high school teacher, uh, most of my students are seniors. And over the course of my career, I definitely have seen an uptick in students' concern and fear over trying to pay for college. So students, I've always had students who are concerned, like, you know, they can't afford college and, and, and all that. But the student loan crisis has, has definitely uh, increased that sense of, like, I'm just I just can't do it and I don't want all this debt that I keep hearing about. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's not the uh, the focus shouldn't be on the unemployment percentage. It's more about, like you said, all the other factors about having to work two or three jobs and barely make it. So, yeah. All right. So that's a W. Yeah. Um, we last, started with a let's last get, grade. Let's let's finish this strong. Let's, OK. Let's. Ah, we have an A. We have an A. We have an A. All right. I, I love it. I don't know how two A's and a W calculate GPA wise, but I'll take it. Um, all right, so this A is in reference to a uh, very large school district in California um, going ahead and moving in the direction of including ethnic studies as a graduation requirement yes. for earning a diploma. Love it. So five districts in California 
currently require ethnic studies as a high school graduation requirement, and that number is quickly rising with Elk Grove Unified School District, the state's fifth largest district, um, which is looking to become the next district to require ethnic studies. Uh, Elk Grove Unified has long had a uh, issue with racial tensions. I myself, full disclosure, um, was a student in Elk Grove Unified. I graduated from high school in Elk Grove Unified, and Elk Grove Unified spans a uh, pretty wide area, including a heavily marginalized um, neighborhood that is predominantly black and brown, all the way through suburbs to rural areas that are predominantly white. And racial tension has long been an issue within that. Um, a few years ago, 2017, a uh, African-American high school senior at Pleasant Grove High School shared her experiences of being screamed uh, the N-word from a uh, car full of uh, white students. And uh, that video went, went viral and that was said to be a pretty common occurrence. And that same year, there's a Snapchat video made by a student in Elk Grove Unified who was uh, disparaging um, black students. So um, there's been this tension in this district for quite a while. So it seems that now more than ever, a discipline such as ethnic studies is, uh, is more important than ever. And this coalition of, of educators and activists uh, are looking to push Elk Grove into this direction of requiring ethnic studies as a mm -hmm. graduation requirement. It's neighboring school district, Sacramento City Unified School District has already done that. Uh, Jeff, what do you think about the growth of ethnic studies as a high school graduation requirement? I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, you know, I think we, I think it was our second episode ever. I might be wrong about this. It was, it, it was, was two or three. Yeah. 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 So one of our very first episodes, yeah. uh, we talked a lot about, uh, issues of ethnic studies and I think it's high time we actually, uh, bring that topic back yeah. uh, for some deeper discussion once again, because, uh, in that window of time, you know, the, the notion of ethnic studies as uh, you know sort of claiming it's like rightful place as a core part of a curriculum right uh has that conversation has advanced tremendously in oh, the last few years yeah. right um to the point that we have the state considering you know adopting this as a graduation requirement across right. the board right so uh fascinating topic i'm a huge proponent of this i love i mean i'll be frank about my bias in this equation of course as a as a social studies teacher you know i just have an affinity for a field like ethnic studies but also some of the very best of the best teachers that i have met are folks who teach ethnic studies mm. right and the the kind of intersectional discussions that take place in that kind of curriculum they yeah. talk about race gender class religion power privilege um are so engaging for students right and strike and this is particularly in the high school context I right, think, right right but like get kids at this developmental point in time where they're trying to make sense of the world they're trying to both uh value and and um bring into life, you know, the culture that they've been reared in. They're trying to make sense of how, the, you know, this world that you're told is all fair and happy and good isn't yeah. exactly fair and, and happy and it's good. Not, wow. You know, they're pushing back against their parents and trying to develop their own identity. Um, and it's a kind of class that is not only academically really rigorous, mm -hmm. but is also deeply personally engaging to students because it speaks to them and it speaks to their experience and why the world around them looks the way it does right yeah. um and so in in a context where we also have this national crisis of raising a whole bunch of nutty charlottesville white supremacists in our public schools um it is also i think incumbent upon us uh, as educators to provide education that doesn't perpetuate the raising of folks who act and think like that 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree with all that. And um, the article where we pulled this from, from the Sacramento Bee, shout out Sacramento, um, notes that Sacramento City Unified School District, which recently implemented ethnic studies as a uh, graduation requirement, um, they conducted an internal study. And so far, um, it's early stages of that study, but so far it's looking like students who took ethnic studies classes in the initial piloting of this in that district felt an unprecedented unprecedented sense of belonging to school and a desire to learn about their classmates and their communities, which I find to be one of the, I guess, underrated aspects of ethnic studies for folks who aren't familiar because, uh, you know, folks will think, well, you know, why does my student have to learn about all these other cultures? My, my kid's not racist. I'm not racist. And ethnic studies is particularly important for those communities that think that race isn't a thing and racism isn't a thing. And learning about the importance of other people's experiences, but also how different systems of power and privilege have come into play to shape this American fabric that we have. So ethnic studies is, is in my personal opinion, particularly important for uh, white identifying students and families. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm super happy about Elk Grove going that yeah. direction. California is moving that direction, but there's been some hiccups and delays because this is not easy work. And as the uh, Department of Ed has tried to get ethnic studies curriculum going, and as legislators have tried to get ethnic studies bill going, there's been some hiccups because there's plenty of folks out there who think ethnic studies is more divisive Communist. than it is unifying. It's communists. A bunch of commies that are trying <laughs> to rip apart our American melting pot and all that so yeah a lot, a lot of folks out there who think that so um it's not going to be easy but moving in the right direction shout yeah. out to everybody doing that good work everybody at uh ethnic studies now indeed. Um, indeed indeed all right jeff two a's and a w i'll take it we'll take it not take bad it. i think gpa wise that's like a like a three eight i don't know how w's are calculated so grad school I'll here they're not calculated not in the GPA, it's just nothing man. it's just to let people know that you were whack and you pulled out before you should have but well, we're not going to penalize you on the GPA. All right. So, grad school, here we come. Indeed. Yeah. All right, folks. Next up is a seminar. We're going to bring on our senior middle school correspondent to talk about this question of whether or not one should stay in the classroom or if it's time to leave. Stay tuned. All right, folks, welcome to today's seminar. And uh, as we told you, we have a good one for you today. Yep. Uh, we have back with us, uh, after a, a short hiatus, mm -hmm. um, our, our one and only senior <laughs> middle school mm. correspondent, because who wants to be just a regular middle school that's correspondent? Right, that's right. Nobody. <laughs> uh, the one and only Genevieve Dubose Akinagbe is back. Uh, and we're gonna get into it today. We got a we got a good uh, yeah. a good discussion for folks. Um, borrowing some words from uh, from the clash. <laughs> should I stay or should I go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if we could sing, <laughs> uh, if we could sing, we would sing. She could sing, so maybe she will. Maybe but, later. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, I think all uh, everyone who's been a teacher. Um, has probably experienced that feeling at some point in their career of, you know, uh, should I stay in the classroom or should I move on to something else? Um, and sometimes that's about like, you know, fit with the profession. But I think what we're going to talk a bit more about today is really the, um, the kind of pull and push and pros and cons of, um, of answering that question when you're thinking about moving into another role. 
yeah. right? So taking on, for example, responsibilities of coaching or, or leadership responsibilities or moving into administration. And, you know, oftentimes people uh, in their profession, you know, you develop new interests and you want to, you know, you want to move on. Um, mm -hmm. And ours is a profession where it's hard to straddle. Right. Like yeah. you're either a teacher or you're not a teacher. There's yeah. not very much space to kind of be both. And mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, to answer this question, we are also in this really fascinating time um, in our society where we are experiencing pretty much nationwide teacher shortages. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, the job is as tough and complex and challenging as it's ever been. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that is leading to its own uh, questions around sustainability and longevity for folks. Um, you know, if you want to expand your earning potential, usually positions out of the classroom pay more than positions in the classroom mm -hmm. or at least start at a higher level um, than, than classroom teaching does. Um, and uh, and yet teaching is, you know, is the core work of education, right? It's where you're closest to the kids. It's where uh, you can have the most direct impact right. um, on, on the young people we're trying to serve. Um, so it's a it's a big, meaty question. And to start us off, um, I'm going to ask uh, Genevieve first to tell us, you know, a little bit about just your personal story of why you're in the role you're in as a as a middle school literacy coach. Yeah, well, I um, I am currently a middle school literacy coach, as you said, um, here in Los Angeles, and. When I moved back to Los Angeles from New York, that was not my intention, right? My intention in New York, I was in a teacher leadership role. So I was teaching and coaching together um, during the day, which was my dream job. And uh, when I came to Los Angeles, I wanted to teach. Um, but unfortunately, LA Unified doesn't have any of the same teacher leadership roles that existed in the New York City Department of Ed. Um, and so I was like, oh, I've got this opportunity. I've been learning these new skills. I want to continue to develop them. Um, but that wasn't available for me through, um, through the district. Um, and also when I looked at um, what I would get paid as an LA Unified teacher coming from New York, I was going to take a really huge pay cut. Um, and uh, LA Unified would only recognize some of my years of experience. They wouldn't recognize all of them, which meant I would be lower on the salary scale. So it was a lot of uh, kind of those types of things that led me to a friend, let me know that there was a coaching position available. And she was like, I think you're, you know, you've got experience in this, you should apply. And that's the role that I'm in now, which is being based at a middle school, which I love. Um, supporting teachers, English teachers, history teachers, science teachers to embed common literacy practices in their classes. And um, I've learned a ton and it's been great, um, but sadly I do miss teaching and I miss having that direct impact with students. Um, and so I work to connect with kids as much as I can through book clubs or other activities at lunch, um, but it's, it's different, you know, and it's, um, it's satisfying, but it's uh, maybe not as satisfying as I felt when I was directly teaching um, mm -hmm. in the classroom. Yeah. So that's my story. Okay. Yeah. Well, your story. Yeah. Well, I just want the 
record to show that of the uh, three of us up here, I'm the I'm the only one that kept it real and stayed in the classroom and continues to work in the classroom. This is this ain't is that the, right, true? This is the sellout, ain't that right, uh, bell curve. This is, right. this is the purity end. Indeed, that's and me. And then it peaks with with selling out here in the middle, and then it and then it goes. Back to sort of, being less sold out yeah, over here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, so, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I love the classroom just like, you know, Genevieve um, loved the classroom. And, and I didn't have to, to make that decision in, in terms of moving and, and being in an area where I was going to have to take this pay cut or look for uh, something. So I haven't had that decision to make. Um, but I have had the, the constant pressure to do something beyond, quote unquote, just teaching and just being in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, like I love the classroom. I'm sure everyone who has uh, left the classroom but stayed in education um, also loved the classroom and really had to grapple with that. Like I really enjoy the interactions with kids and I enjoy this and I enjoy that. But for all the reasons you mentioned before in terms of um, salary, in terms of trying to have a, a role beyond your classroom, um, there's that pressure to to move on and move away. So I've been grappling with that my whole career pretty much. Mm-hmm. I'm, as a first year teacher, my principal at the time, um, early on was telling me like, you know, I see you as an administrator one day, I, I want you to shadow some principals. And like early on was trying to put me on that track to leave the classroom and, and be an administrator and then who knows what from there. So that's been um, a constant, I guess, challenge or a bit of pressure throughout my career, but I just really love the classroom. And even though I really want to have a, a, a bigger voice in education and, and advocate advocacy and, and policy change and all that. I've been trying to find ways to do that without having to leave the classroom because I think mm-hmm. tradition, the traditional notion is if you're going to have a voice in policy, if you are going to advocate for students above and beyond those who are in your four walls, you need to leave the classroom and there's these roles in, the, um, in this type of work and that type of work. But I've been trying to find ways to do some of that but also stay in the classroom. So right now I feel like I'm a... Uh, one foot in, one foot out type of mentality in terms of my work in education. So mm-hmm. uh, my main foot is in the classroom because that's where I draw my strength and energy and, and inspiration from. The, the The students are the ones who keep me energized about about education. But then my other foot is in different arenas of um, trying to influence policy. So I've been fortunate to find a way to be on the or have my voice heard at the Department of Education in California by being a commissioner on the Instructional Quality Commission, and we do direct policy work with regards to standards and frameworks and resources uh, that affect all California schools. And I've been doing some uh, advocacy work with Ed Trust West as part of a advisory council. And um, that's been giving me that's given me a chance to work with folks who currently work like in the state capital or, or speak to the uh, folks in, in the state capital about California policy and change. Mm. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's just been a constant trying to stay in the classroom, but also find creative ways to have my voice heard beyond the classroom. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think for me, the, you know, maybe what's distinct uh, relative to the two of, of you is, you know, I entered the profession really wanting, thinking I wanted to be a principal. Like that was my first right. inspiration hmm. to become an educator. Um, and so partially for that reason, but also I think, you know, uh, just in general, I tend to think of framing of the like, should I stay or should I go as not actually being about a, an issue of like selling out, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I think it's, <laughs> it's, 
we need good principals and we need good coaches. And we need good district administrators. And the fact that we don't have enough <laughs> of yeah. some of those positions is part of the reason why the job of being a teacher or the job of being a principal mm -hmm. can be so difficult sometimes. And so, um, you know, so to me, it was it was never actually that question that I, you know, that I kind of grappled with, but more one that was about like, is it the right time? Right. Is now the right time for me to, to move or not? Um, and I think it is vitally important for people who step into leadership roles to really know the craft. Right. To really Absolutely. know what good yeah. instruction is and looks like to really understand, um, you know, uh, what it means and what the work is of helping to create positive culture in a classroom and those sorts of things. Um, and so. You know, for me, I, I was in the classroom, you know, now at this point for like only a quarter of my of my career. Um, but, uh, you know, there is something special and unique about the classroom that's different. And uh, in some ways, that is the most inspiring and, you know, captivating aspect of the work. In other ways, it's the most exhausting mm -hmm. uh, aspect of the work. Uh, right. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, you know, Manuel just came back from uh, winter break here and, uh, yep. <laughs> you know, went to bed at seven o'clock last night or something uh, after the first week <laughs> Man, back because it's exhausting. hard, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, the ninth graders after winter break uh, give you a run for your money. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> So, you know, interesting, uh, I think, trajectories uh, and mm -hmm. spectrum of trajectories uh, for for all of us on the um, on the panel here. Um, I would love to get your thoughts. I think there is there are some structural aspects to our profession, to being a teacher and to being an educator that make it hard to do specifically, Manuel, what you described. Right. And I know Genevieve, I'm sure you can talk a lot about this as well. Um, but if you are a teacher and you want to spread your wings and get involved in leadership opportunities and join, you know, commissions or serve in different roles. In a lot of districts, there's not actually a teaching role that facilitates that, yeah. right? right. Um, so you're either giving up your personal time or you need to get a substitute and that has its own challenges, yeah. right? Um, budgetary and logistically, mm -hmm. um, you know, so if you want a promotion, you got to leave teaching, right? Because there aren't really yeah. promotions within teaching. If you, uh, you know, if you want to make more money, um, sometimes the fastest way to do that is leave, uh, leave the classroom. Um, you know, so, uh, so I would love to hear your thoughts about like both your experience grappling with that and, um, you know, like maybe how we can do this a little bit better. Um, Genevieve, why don't we, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I've got, I've got so many thoughts on that. Um, I think one of my biggest struggles with teaching is I, I adore teaching. It's my happiest place. And I, I often tell people I love teaching and I hate teaching because I love it for all the reasons, right? Our students, the impact you have, the joy it actually brings me, the engagement, the way that you can have this powerful direct impact on changing someone's life, right? And then I hate it because of uh, all of the work that you need to do outside of the classroom, right? Mm -hmm. Like teaching does not have people who, anyone who thinks that teaching is from eight to three clearly doesn't know teachers. And um, there's no other job I've had. And I've most, all of my career has been in education, but I've been fortunate to do some policy work and also, um, you know, work like as a coach, but no other role I've had, I have I had to take home as much as I take home, I took home as a teacher. And so um, 
for me, those are those are some of the things that uh, really push people, I think, out of of the classroom because people can't have that work life balance. Or if you do have to just say, you know what, I'm not going to bring home as much. It impacts your teaching. Right. And and what you do with students. And so I really wish um, for our profession that there were. I mean, a number of changes, but one where there's more opportunity for teachers to, this sounds weird, but spend less time with students during the day so that they can do the work of analyzing student work, working with their colleagues to plan, um, you know, looking at how they're actually going to deliver instruction and practicing. Teachers don't have that time during the day um, because, you know, like Manuel, you probably teach five classes a day and then you have like, yeah, 30 minute lunch and maybe 45 minutes. 30 minutes. That's, 30, I wish. Okay. Maybe not <laughs> even 30 minutes. Dang, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, a short lunch period and then maybe one period to like do everything else you need to do, which is right. impossible. Right. And right. so, how do we create a structure where teachers actually have more time during the day to do the work of teaching? Um, because that would, I think, make the profession so much more sustainable, right? Because you wouldn't have to sacrifice your own time and time with your family and time to really develop yourself um, at the expense of your kids. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one, one thing I think about. I have other thoughts, but I'm curious to hear what, what Manuel thinks. Yeah, I mean, it's just incredibly challenging because of all the reasons that you just mentioned. And, um, you know, myself, I'm thinking about as a classroom teacher and, and one particular person that I look up to uh, as a sort of mentor in education um, was really pushing me to leave the classroom for reasons of having a broader influence. And basically uh, the message that um, they had for me was that you can't just think that you're the only one who can do this work in the classroom with these students. You can't think of that. You can't think of it in terms of you're leaving these students and what's going to happen because uh, there's plenty of other talented teachers and your voice could be so much more impactful outside the classroom and have a bigger influence on entire school or entire district or entire state. And you know how the saying goes, but this person also told me later um, in a separate conversation about how they had to invent the position that they wanted in their particular mm. um, area of, of work because um, they wanted to do some of this and some of that and some of this and uh, such a position didn't exist. So they kind of put together a proposal for their local board and made it happen. And in my head, I'm like, well, why can't I do that? Mm -hmm. You know, so which mm -hmm. is what I've been trying to do. But it's incredibly challenging because, of course, you're thinking about um, how much time you have in a day to do all these different things. But also, uh, Jeff, like you mentioned, like sub days, like depending on what you're involved in, your district might not support that. And that's days that come out of your own personal um, allocation of days for substitute teachers and, and all of that. But I've had to just juggle. And for me, it's just a constant juggling. And it's not something that I think I would recommend to mm. really anybody out there because it's very difficult. But, um, you know, it's my passion and, I, and I, I'm willing to, to, to do that. And I don't think it's something that I'd be able to do if, for example, I had, uh, you know, kids at home that had to pick up after school and take their little league and all these things that so many teachers have to do. Like, thankfully, um, you know, in terms of income, like Jeff, you mentioned, you usually to get paid more, you have to leave the classroom for those positions. And I'm just, you know, thankful that you just our financial situation between uh, my wife and I allows me to not necessarily have to try to increase my income right mm -hmm. now so and these are all things that I don't expect would apply to most teachers out there so that's why I kind of just look at what I do as like this can't be the solution 
system wide. Like yeah. this can't this can't be what we look at as as the way to have classroom teachers have influence. Yeah, it's it's a structural problem, and, and yeah. I, you know, you said a second ago, Genevieve, the with hesitation, I could hear it in your voice. Like <laughs> it sounds bad, but like you know, less time with the kids. Like yeah. I, I will, I'm gonna give you permission to say that, and I'm gonna take it one step further and say the absolute definite thing that we need to do in our profession is have teachers spend less time with kids. Yeah, and we will yeah. get better results with teachers <laughs> spending less time with kids. Yeah, and <clears throat> pardon me for folks who maybe. Um, for whom that might not quite seem intuitive or who might be caught in the emotions yeah, of yeah. like, you hate kids. Like that's not what's <laughs> being said. Uh, what we're talking about is, you know, as in any job, right? The work it takes to get ready to perform the job is just as important as the performance True. of the job, yeah. right? So, you know, um, football players I go to all the time as a former football player, they spend basically six days a week practicing and getting ready for one three hour performance right. for which most of them are only on the field for half of the time. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, so when you think about that and you compare it to a teacher mm -hmm. who is on stage performing for five at, or the average teacher in America is in a classroom or some kind of supervisory duty with teach with students for five to five and a half hours a day. Right. Which is, two to two and a half hours longer than many of our international peers who, yeah. you know, are often touted the Finlands of the world that get, you know, great results on all the international assessments. Um, their teachers spend less time with kids, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and teachers' professional responsibility is, uh, includes, right, during the day, yes. the work of getting good and staying good at your craft, right? Or taking on yeah. coaching or other leadership responsibilities. And yeah. so we even have models for this from around the world that, um, you know, as different as they may be, we might really want to think about. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I also think here we have amazing people uh, at this table. Absolutely. And as a profession, we shouldn't want Manuel Rustin <laughs> to leave the classroom, right? right? Um, you know, if you do, that's great. You right, know, right. Wonderful, right? Wherever you go, we'll have the benefit of having you. We shouldn't want Genevieve to leave the classroom. We should want our top talent to stay. Mm -hmm. I think the way many other professions, you know, are, are structured, right? Incentives are in place for top talent to stay, yeah. but also to grow. Yeah. Right? And right. also to spread their wings a bit. And that I I want to give a shout out when you're, we were talking about structure, right? And like mm -hmm. like the systems that it takes to make this happen. Um, I have a shout out for the New York City Department of Education and the United Federation of Teachers in New York City because they work together to craft three very specific teacher leader roles that I was uh, part of when um, that that support teachers in growing professionally and not leaving the classroom. And so they have these uh, three roles that are um, a model teacher where you can open up your classroom um, as a way for people to see practice in action. And um, it has a little bit of a less, uh, like, I guess, time commitment. So you get an additional $7,500 added onto your salary if you're a model teacher. And then the role that I was in was a peer collaborative teacher, which was my dream job, essentially. I taught half the day, my seventh grade English students. And the other half of the day, I got to um, coach teachers. I got to support the professional learning of teachers at our school site uh, with, a, with a team of other of colleagues. And it was, it was phenomenal. And it was something that 
had I not moved, that role would have sustained me um, in staying in the classroom much longer because it also then gave me time. They were actively like thinking about my professional development. So I was meeting with other peer collaborative teachers from across the district. And it wasn't like I had to have a sub to, you know, the, the guilt of a sub and the work of preparing for a sub. Um, I didn't have to worry about that because half of my day was about that professional learning. And so structures like that really make it possible for teachers to, um, you know, to stay in the profession and then to grow and, and, I, I was so saddened when I came to LA and, and recognized like that doesn't exist here. Um, and kind of what you were saying, Manuel, like it made me think about, okay, so like what are the ways that I could maybe create that for myself if I was still in the right. classroom, you know? And, and I think a lot of us go that route, but it, it shouldn't be, the, that shouldn't be the case, right? We shouldn't have to try to think creatively around a really bureaucratic system. Right. Um, that should be built into the system. Yeah, and that's an excellent model. I, I didn't realize that they did that in New York. I yeah. mean, to me, that sounds wonderful. And that sounds phenomenal. It makes me think about how many teachers in California perhaps would have stayed in the classroom had such an opportunity been available. Mm -hmm. You know, how much talent we might have lost. Um, not lost, of course, because they're doing excellent work in other areas of education, but how many folks, like, exited the classroom because such a position wasn't wasn't available. And, um, you know, if anybody's watching or, or listening who's currently in the classroom, and I'm sure they've grappled with this themselves, um, you know, part of it is also just the emotional component, that guilt of like, mm -hmm. you know, um, being so close to students, having worked uh, with them so closely for so long, and just like, do I really want to leave this and walk away and then, you know, basically be dealing with adults all day instead of dealing with uh, with the students, I think that's those damn adults. I know, damn, man. We bring a lot. We bring a lot of energy, man. So you know, so that's just, so. There's so many components to this in terms of you know, the the um, compensation, in terms of structure, in terms of just the emotional component. I came into teaching because I wanted to interact with, uh, you know, I wanted to inspire the youth and, and change the world in that way, and then making that decision of leaving. Like, there's so much going on at the same time mm -hmm. and then you add that a component of simply just burnout of how hard it is to teach and a lot of folks mm -hmm. consider leaving the profession not because necessarily they want to have greater influence but because it's just too much yeah. and they just can't sustain that for too long mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. so i think you know in answering our big question right should i stay or should i go uh we've spent a lot of the conversation talking about um reasons to stay and ways to stay and how maybe our, our profession uh, doesn't support that enough. Um, but I am curious as our, as kind of our, our final question here, um, you know, should I go, right? And what are the benefits uh, of taking, um, you know, steps outside of the classroom? Uh, what are the benefits of doing that work with those damn adults uh, yeah. <laughs> that Manuel talked about? And I'm curious to hear from both of you, like, you know, what, what benefits has it brought to you professionally? Uh, and maybe even in what ways has it impacted and, and informed or improved your classroom practice mm -hmm. by, by having those experiences that mm -hmm. are either formally you know stepping as a coach or you know or more in the like entrepreneurial sense of taking on you know leadership right. roles um you know how how have those things benefited you and how might other teachers benefit from similar things yeah um well i i have kind of two thoughts around this one is um as a coach um i have the time to do my work at work 
which allows me, I've been, I've done so much professional reading and, and like really expanded my knowledge around coaching and strong instruction. Um, that is that I did, I would not have that time as a teacher. And so that allows me when I'm coaching teachers, you know, at my school site, um, to really be well-versed in, um, in, in what I'm talking about, right. And what I'm proposing. And so the, the, the professional learning and the professional reading I've been able to, that I've had the time and space to do has been a huge benefit, um, which obviously impacts teachers and impacts kids. Um, but also I'm part of like, a uh, a network of coaches, like at my school and through my organization that also gives me, um, I know teachers were oftentimes we're in networks, right? Cause you're at a school site with other teachers, but you're often just with your kids most of the time, right? You're not, there aren't the structures that are set up to like learn from each other. But as a coach, I've found in my coaching role in New York and here in LA, those structures have been set up where they're bringing coaches together to talk about our craft, to get better, to watch each other in action, to watch video, that kind of stuff. So I feel like my growth my professional growth um, has been much faster as a coach than it was as a teacher um, because I wasn't getting that kind of feedback. There weren't those structures in place as a teacher. Um, and then the other thing that I think about is uh, one of my former mentors who has since passed away, but Ron Thorpe, who was the president of the National Board for Professional Teaching Standards, um, he, I worked at the National Board for a couple of years and one thing that he really pushed was he was like, wow, we should, we, there are lots of national board certified teachers who work at the national board, but we were really talking about how this should be like a rotating group of teachers, right? Like give a teacher a space to come and work in national policy for two years before they go back to the classroom. And any of the, the times where I've gotten to work at the U.S. Department of Education as a teaching ambassador fellow or at the national board, those have been these kind of breaks from the classroom that have sustained me and that have taught me about the larger education landscape and how policies are made and wow, how valuable it is. Like Manuel, I'm so glad that you're on those committees uh, because teachers need to be on those committees, right? And they, I feel like teachers should make up the bulk of those committees and people who are making those decisions. So that's been another benefit of leaving is that I've really broadened uh, my my perspective and my knowledge that then when I return to the classroom and return to my school site, those are things that I can share and expose uh, other teachers to. And I've had other teachers who have applied to those same fellowships and things because they learned about it through me and my experience and were interested as well. So yeah, the learning I think has been, has been the biggest benefit. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree. There's a ton of benefits with, or that come with uh, sort of expanding your role outside the classroom and, and, and definitely uh, working with others. Uh, for myself, some of the benefits I've had in terms of being involved in the um, Instructional Quality Commission and being involved in the Educator Advisory Council. So, I mean, we just in our Do Now spoke about ethnic studies um, as one of our uh, headlines. And I'm on the Instructional Quality Commission. We're the ones who um, basically monitor the development of the ethnic studies model curriculum. And we're the ones who have the, the, the legislative authority to vote on moving that forward to the State Board of Education and getting it um, hopefully approved at some point. So I feel like just right there, like having my voice actually not just heard, but having a, a vote and having a, a role in it just makes me feel like, wow, like this is awesome that a classroom teacher um, who works with students all day can be part of this conversation and, you know, not just a uh, 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 marginal role, but actually like have some kind of um, 
some direct influence in terms of the movement of it. And we also spoke recently about, um, what was the other story? We did ethnic studies, and then we had the story about... Suspension policy? About suspension policy. So that uh, legislation that um, just passed or just um, went into effect regarding uh, willful defiance for middle schoolers, you know, that original legislation was all the way through high school, and I'm on the Educator Advisory Council for Ed Trust West, and they are one of the organizations that sponsored the original bill, and mm -hmm. they reached out to us on the um, Advisory Council for our, th our thoughts on whether or not they should continue to support it without the uh, secondary component, without the um, high school part of there. And, you know, I was able to um, talk directly to uh, somebody at Trust West um, on my thoughts about whether or not they should still support them. So I just feel like those sorts of experiences are experiences that I think a lot of teachers will love to have, um, but they don't because either they don't know about these commissions or these councils, or it's just difficult to do that and still be in the classroom. So for myself, uh, the classroom, you know, obviously is becomes such a bubble when you're so uh, focused on the students that you have right there. So this type of these type of conversations I've been able to have have helped me widen my perspective, uh, especially with regards to the fact that not every school is like mine. So we're talking about uh, policy and change across California. And there's plenty of rural schools, plenty of uh, super high achieving privileged schools and it just helps broaden my perspective about how these changes also impact them so so yeah um big benefits to leaving or to being involved outside the classroom mm -hmm. yeah. but i ain't leaving the classroom altogether <laughs> personally right yeah. on yeah I, I mean i would i would definitely <laughs> echo what the two of you said i think um you know, I, I said this yesterday, I think, when we were talking that uh, probably the window of my career where I learned the most, like pound for pound, was when I worked as a coach across a, a network of schools. And, um, you know, just just the, the privileged place you're in to be able to have your job be to get really good at stuff yourself and help other people get good at stuff, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it just accelerates your learning in a way that... Um, that even like stepping back and then becoming an administrator is kind of like being a teacher. You're so busy doing all the work that yeah. you don't have as much time to 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 actually focus on getting better. And um, you know, I think I think it's a shame that our profession doesn't have structures like that built in, so that you don't just have to be the exceptional teacher on the state commission, right? Or you don't right. have to just be the person who's lucky enough to get the fellowship to uh, you know work with the U.S. Department of Ed, right? Or um, that everyone should have opportunities to to access these mm -hmm. uh, these kinds of experiences. And I think it starts with providing more time uh, for teachers to to actually do the work, uh, the hard, rigorous work it takes to get good at teaching. So um, so fascinating conversation. Yeah, uh, really glad we got to, to dig into this today. Um, we definitely hope you enjoyed it. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you did, what we want you to do is like this post, uh, share it with someone, you know, um, you know, talk to your friends, colleagues, uh, family members, tell them about the show. You heard about this great new show, all the above. We're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. And of course, all of our content is on our website, uh, aotashow.com. Um, if you're a commuter and you want to listen, we've got the podcast on just about everywhere you can find a podcast. Uh, so SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, uh, podcast. So check us out. We appreciate your support. 
um, very much. And uh, again, uh, Genevieve, um, senior middle school correspondent, thank Indeed. you once again for thank joining us. Thank you all us for having me. And, uh, thank you. Lending your expertise to today's <laughs> conversation. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, we appreciate it and uh, look forward to having you back again soon. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, folks, is our class dismissed. All right, folks, now it's time for Class Dismissed. Jeff, who are we shouting out today? Well, man, well, today uh, I am uh, proud and privileged to shout out, uh, I believe it's 211 to be exact, of uh, some of the most incredible, amazing, talented, dedicated, transformational, hardworking educators in the entire city of Los Angeles mm. that I personally had the privilege of working with every day. Um, and these are the, the folks on the instructional leadership teams at the 18 Partnership for Los Angeles Schools schools uh, within yeah. the larger LA Unified School District. It's that was a schools. mouthful. Um, but it's a network of schools in LA that uh, are just doing some incredible work to help transform schools that, uh, you know, historically at least were among some of the lower uh, performing schools uh, in the district, mm. um, in communities that have been long underserved and are working really hard hard to to make sure that all of our students get uh, the high quality education that they deserve. Mm -hmm. And on uh, on January 9th, um, these 211 amazing folks gathered for a full day conference um, where uh, all the leadership teams get together, look at uh, data from the middle of the year and really do some strategizing and action planning on how we're going to launch the second half of the year well and how we're going to help every single one of our babies, uh, you know, reach their goals and get to where they need to get to for the year and, and getting them on track and ready mm -hmm. to succeed and go to and through college and so um, it was just such an inspiring event for me to be a part of and be at um, and to see folks who are coming in on their vacation right um, right. could have been chilling right right, right. <laughs> but like it matters i'm here let's do this as a team and let's let's do what's right for the students so much love much respect to all of the the attendees at the partnerships winter institute and uh shout out to you that sounds wonderful um 211 211 so that means we should have roughly 211 dope educators listening to all the above right now or watching I, I i'm sure so. you shouted out our show because if they're dope and this is you know all of our listeners are dope it sounds like they should be among our listeners i, I well let's let me put it this way many of them are because uh, they they've come to me and say hey I, you know i see the show nice uh so but you know we'll try to we'll try to get that number up yeah, we'll try to get yeah. all 211 <laughs> and folks we appreciate you listening or, or or watching and if you wouldn't mind sharing this with one other person that you know who is interested in issues around our schools and who isn't because schooling is such an important part of our american experience um if you wouldn't mind shooting them the link or um you know recommending this to them we would greatly appreciate that indeed for sure all right so that about does it for today's episode again our, our next episode we're going to have some folks here uh, discussing lgbtq issues around our schools so we would love to hear from you so consider emailing us or or messaging us either your uh comments or short videos uh video or voice memo whatever to um about your thoughts and experiences around lgbtq issues in our schools we'd love to um hear from you guys and maybe include some of that in our next episode so um so yeah all right that about does it thanks for listening we'll check you next time <laughs>